Welcome to the Treble Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Thompson, audiologist and founder of Treble Health. This podcast is supported by treblehealth.com, the nation's leading telehealth service for tinnitus and hearing loss treatment. Thank you for being here on our podcast and make sure to subscribe to get our newest episodes sent straight to you. Let's get ahead with today's episode. At the moment, there's no test for tinnitus, like a brain scan or a blood test. If you go into the clinic and try to measure your tinnitus, your doctor may do a hearing test and then explain the results and determine what's next in your tinnitus management plan. But we really want as a community to get us to the point where we can have this objective test of tinnitus. And today's guest on the Tinnitus Relief Podcast is Dr. Mernaz Shustarian, who graduated with a PhD in biomedical engineering from Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Her main research focus involves developing objective measures of tinnitus. She also has an interest in the study of stimulation treatments for tinnitus and Parkinson's disease. She's currently working on recording brain activity in response to sounds coming into the ear and other sounds to better guide optimizing different treatments and tests for tinnitus. Today, we will learn about the newest research, which aims to find that objective tinnitus test. So Mernaz, welcome. And please start by explaining to us why this is a problem in the current manner, why the average person with tinnitus, a true objective tinnitus test. Thank you very much, Ben. At the moment, as uh, you know, if someone with tinnitus goes uh, to see a clinician, the only thing that t- the clinician really knows about their tinnitus is what the person tells them. And that's not always enough to base treatments on. So what we're working on is to develop an objective test. So in this case, in our case, it's sort of like a brain scan that will give clinicians more information about someone's tinnitus and hopefully give them a better way of monitoring treatments that that they try to see if in fact they're working. And I can say as being a clinician, as someone who works with tinnitus patients, that what we'd have is that hearing test and then we can have this subjective questionnaire rating someone's tinnitus from zero to 100 in the case of the tinnitus functional index. Why is that not enough? Why is that a problem? Well, it doesn't really, uh, sub- subjective uh, tests and subjective questionnaires we are also using in our research to help us develop this test, but it wouldn't give you any information about the part of the brain that's more involved, that seems to be more involved tinnitus, and it might not uh, give enough information about what treatments are likely to work better for that person, sort of like a prognostic test. So an objective test would be a more direct measure of what's happening in the brain and hopefully would uh, sort of guide um, clinicians and patients to what treatments are more likely to for them to benefit. Very important. 100% agree because there are different causes of tinnitus. Some of them are related to the ear. All of them include elements of the brain because the source of tinnitus, if we can point to it, is in the brain. But then there's conditions like jaw, TMJ, upper neck conditions, stress or central nervous system effects. And those can all factors for why someone has tinnitus. So an objective test wouldn't need the patient to explain this detailed case history and an expert doctor or clinician to put all the pieces together. What we're proposing here is potentially an objective test to make that decision through an objective measure. Now, tell us more about 
brain scans and blood tests in other medical specialties and what we can learn from the decades of research that's developed these objective measures and how that might help us in our right well for any condition health condition really what's needed is an objective test a diagnostic test that can tell a clinician that a person has the condition and then can help them to monitor any treatments that they give them. So, for example, if someone has diabetes, it would be that blood test that would um, give a clinician that information. So with tinnitus, at the moment, there's no similar test to say, you know, you would likely benefit from um, cognitive behavioral therapy rather than um, sound therapy. So, yeah, what... Better assessment of tinnitus is what we're aiming for with with this test. This is a short interruption from today's video to announce the tinnitus quiz. If you're watching this video, there's a good chance that you or someone you know has tinnitus. We know how much tinnitus can impact your daily life, and we're here to help. Visit tinnitusquiz.com and take a two-minute quiz to receive personalized treatment plans that have helped hundreds of people learn to manage their tinnitus. Start now at tinnitusquiz.com. And those brain scans and blood tests, the good thing about them is that they come back with, it's binary. It's a problem or it's not a problem, right? Or it's a problem and this is the factor that's most likely causing it. So then the doctors look at this and they can make decisions, like you said, on diabetes treatment, on neurological brain tumor, for example. So that's the specificity in the testing is what leads to the specificity, the specific you know, treatment and the most effective treatment. Now, we've seen that currently with our approach because we know if someone has, for example, a somatic tinnitus related to their jaw or their neck, then we, we need to modify the treatment to have the most effective outcome for them. So, so it's really building on top of that. Instead of relying on expert doctors, which there aren't that many for tinnitus, we're generalizing something that can be used by many more doctors. Uh, so I, I'm fully on board here and I really want this to happen. But through all your research, I'm sure there were, there were trials and errors and learning and challenges to, make, to, to get to where you are today. So walk us through those years of learning the specialty, trying different modalities, and what you learned over the years of building uh, what's what's currently in development for the objective test of tinnitus. That's right. There have certainly been a lot of learnings, and we are still learning. Um, but what we're using uh, in our research is a non-invasive brain imaging technique called functional near-infrared spectroscopy, or FNIRS. And FNIRS um, basically uses light to monitor changes in blood oxygen levels. So a similar measure to what a functional MRI device would, would give. But the advantage of FNIRS is that it's a lot more portable and lower cost compared to an MRI machine. And it can be used non-invasively. Uh, and also compared to an MRI, it's silent. So it doesn't have that scanner noise um, that an MRI machine has. It doesn't have the what's called the spatial resolution of an MRI machine. So it can't give as exact um, detailed information about different parts of the brain. But even with the resolution that it has, we found that we can detect differences in signals between people who have tinnitus and people who don't. And also with tinnitus at different severity levels, 
as rated subjectively. So with those questionnaires that you mentioned, we can pick up differences in the signals that correlate with those subjective ratings. And how do you think this will be used with the average individual who has tinnitus, right? Tell us about the development stage of the device uh, that one wears in the head. We can put an image right now on the screen for those of you who are watching and listening on YouTube. Um, This will be a picture here from the lab and what they're using currently. Tell us more about the first clinical applications here and what we might expect as we hope this will continue to um, evolve and have more support from the community. So the clinical applications that we envisage are firstly um, to give that diagnostic of tinnitus presence um, so we know um, we can sort of quantify the presence of tinnitus and also provide a baseline measure of how severe that tinnitus is. And then hopefully with treatments, with different treatments that can be tried, then they can come back and um, repeat the measure and we can see if there are changes in that quantification to show if there's an improvement in tinnitus severity. And again, we're hoping that we can sort of break that down further to whether the severity relates to tinnitus loudness uh, or the annoyance that a person experiences um, and therefore, again, better guide treatments. The other sort of application that we have in mind is that having pre-treatment measures of a large number of um, individuals, and that's sort of a longer-term goal, would allow us to identify different types of tinnitus with different um, brain signal features that would benefit from a certain treatment. So we could do the measure, get the recording, and um, based on the algorithms, identify that this person will likely benefit from for example, hearing aids or from from other treatments. So that sort of prognostic application is also something we we hope to work on. Um, but it, of course, it will need a lot of data from a lot of um, participants. Yeah. Well, currently speaking, when someone's working with a tinnitus specialist, it's usually an audiologist, and we would have a comprehensive hearing test, which is normal beeps and tones speech sounds, and then specialists who are very much in the know about what we can do next are often testing a more more specific test of the inner ear, sometimes very high-pitched sounds to measure high-frequency responses, and then the inner hair cell test called OAE or autoacoustic emission. So that would be a robust test, battery test uh, profile in the current in the current day. Um, additionally, we would want this comprehensive questionnaire to understand how does tinnitus affect our sense of control, our sleep, our emotions, our stress, things like this. And a specialist like myself or another audiology specialist would then have this full information on you know, how, how does tinnitus affect you as an individual? And then what do the objective tests show about your hearing health? Because they usually are related, those who have changes in the hearing organ, the cochlea typically have tinnitus, well, we can 
counsel and recommend different treatments based on all these tests. Now, to add an objective measure to this, like you said, it would be amazing to have pre and post scores after a treatment to verify that it's actually working. And I know there has been some research on this. Uh, for example, researchers in 2022 and 2020 looking at the benefits of sound therapy treatment and how it positively changed the different brain regions, not only the auditory region, but global brain system of tinnitus. Different brain regions had uh, less activity, establishing more of a baseline level after they had intense bothersome tinnitus. So uh, that really excites me. And I think it builds a lot of credibility for any industry leading treatment when we can uh, verify it objectively. I think the the question everyone wants to know here is, what can we expect here in the next few years? I know how hard it is to change doctors' behaviors and to bring a new test into any clinic. Tell us what you're hoping for and then uh, what someone who's listening can maybe expect in the next years. So just to add uh, to uh, the test that uh, you you just um defined and explained about. So uh, as you said, this would be an additional tool. So it's definitely not replacing anything, but it's sort of adding more information to what a clinician could uh, have about someone's tinnitus. So um, uh, in the next few years, our big challenge at the moment is funding, as with all researchers. So what we hope to do is continue collecting more data. So we have increased our sample size quite well over the last two years. It was a bit tricky with COVID and getting patients into the lab, but um, we've tested over 120 patients now. So our our sample size is growing, our database is growing. But the other thing we need to do is to develop the hardware further. So at the moment, the device that we use is a research Um, sort of great device. So it's quite expensive and it has a lot of features that we probably wouldn't need in a clinic. So what we're hoping to do is have an FNES device with the features that you you would need, plus our algorithms integrated, uh, which would lower the cost and make it a lot easier to use in a clinic. I do have a quick question. So is this a new technology that's being applied to tinnitus or is this just the first time that the research community has applied this existing technology to tinnitus? It is existing technology, so it is used in different fields of research, but um, it is, uh, yes, we're applying it to tinnitus, which is uh, not, yes. Okay, and are there other health conditions that are currently using it in a more like diagnostic or testing manner today? Clinically, not so much. It's still more of a research tool that, Uh, people use. And other than you and me who are ear and brain nerds, who are the stakeholders who want this to succeed, right? Are they, are they doctors? Is it the, is it the industry? Is it certain advocacy groups here? Uh, Who are the, who are the communities who are, who, who has the funding, who are going to drive this forward so that it's actually used clinically? Because I want it to happen. I really do. I think one group who would greatly benefit from this, people working on developing treatments, um, having an objective readout of the effect of their treatment could greatly accelerate their regulatory approval um, path. Uh, So if you look up on uh, clinical trials, there are many clinical trials of tinnitus treatments, but most of them have uh, used subjective ratings to to monitor the effectiveness, which 
wouldn't be as convincing as having an objective readout. So uh, one of our main goals this year is to partner and of course, an objective measure is um, useful if you have a good treatment. So one of our um, aims this year is to partner with people working on treatments to uh, run clinical trials together. So have our objective measure pre and post and the treatment to sort of provide more evidence that this is useful. So tell me this, how does it actually work. How do you take information from the brain through the skin in a non-invasive way? So an FNE system usually has a cap with light sources and detectors that you arrange based on the regions of the brain that you want to um, image and learn about. So at the moment, we are looking at as many parts as we... So frontal regions of the brain temporal sort of auditory related parts as well as um, visual parts at the back and this is all based on previous research that has been done using other techniques so we're sort of building on that taking that information and applying it in this device that's more likely to be translated to clinical use so the cap has light sources and detectors the light is shown through the head and the detectors detect the amount of light um, reflected or scattered and from that you get a, a measure of changes in blood oxygen levels and the idea is that when a part of the brain is more active, for example, when you're hearing sound, then there is more oxygen needed in that part of the brain. Therefore, you see an increase in uh, oxygen levels or specifically for FNEs, oxygenated hemoglobin and deoxygenated um, hemoglobin levels. So you can monitor those changes. And from that, you infer brain activity. So we record signals under different conditions. So at rest, when the person's not doing anything, as well as in response to sound and vision, because again, there's been research that's shown changes in those responses in people who have tinnitus, likely due to the background neural activity changes that are seen. So we take all that information, we take the signal features from resting signals, as well as um, signals in response to the different stimuli. And then we train machine learning uh, algorithms to learn what is a feature or a, a set of features from someone who has tinnitus or tinnitus at different um, severity levels. Got and it. then we test those um, algorithms with uh, new data uh, to see how well, how accurately it can identify a tinnitus. Got it. Yeah, many people in our community here, and those of you who are here on YouTube, I'm sh uh, giving you a shout out right now. Comment on YouTube if this is insightful. If you're learning something here, if you're hopeful here, comment that below on YouTube. Uh, insightful, learning, hopeful. Because many people ask me, they say, Dr. Ben, what researchers are actively working on solutions for tinnitus? You know, this is a huge problem. It affects millions of people. We have millions of military veterans uh, with, with in the US. Why is the government not funding more money for tinnitus? Why is this not treated like cancer research? And I, I, all those points are, are well received, but what they may not know is that there, there are individuals like yourselves and others and your colleagues 
who are really committed to this and who are dedicating their life to try to um, find better solutions for tinnitus. Well, like you've alluded to, if you're trying to find solutions for different you know, brain, brain conditions, well, how do you know if they're working unless you have an objective test? So you're building the infrastructure which will allow future treatments to occur. So uh, I think this is really important to feature your work here today. And I want to give you an opportunity to share any last words here for our community, um, any words of hope or encouragement based on your research so far and what's potentially coming in down the pipeline for um, different objective tests and other means. Sure. So I guess one um, I think one aspect, one finding so far for us that is that is really encouraging us to move forward is that with our bigger data set that we've collected, we're still seeing um, those initial differences we detected between tinnitus and controls and tinnitus at different severity levels. So the results agreeing with our initial findings, which gives us um, sort of hope and encouragement to continue. Our big uh, challenge is getting enough funding to progress um, but we are doing our best and also looking at sort of alternatives. So there, there are research funding programs, but there are also alternative methods that the Bionics Institute looks at and actively works on. So, yes, we are hopeful. And uh, also treatments. Yes, we, we need to test our uh, objective measure with treatments to sort of add evidence that it's useful for progressing treatments that's that's the ultimate aim amazing and how can someone support your work and how can they follow the trends and developments so if they're in melbourne australia at the moment we only have one testing site which is in melbourne so we are always happy to hear from people who'd like to take part in our research and uh uh, if you the Bionics Institute website, we have a newsletter that you can sign up for on the website, and that uh, provides regular updates uh, on our different projects at the institute, including um, our tinnitus work. Amazing. Renas, thank you so much. And for anyone who's listening, make sure you check out our other podcast episode, which is with Dr. Dirk DeRitter, which I think will build off of this and more of a global brain network of tinnitus approach. So you can find that right above. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. This is your host, Dr. Ben Thompson. If you have two minutes, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a five-star review on the Apple Podcast platform for the Treble Health Podcast. Thank you for your time. And if you need any services for tinnitus or hearing aids, please head over to treblehealth.com and our team of expert audiologists will be able to help you via telehealth. Have a great one and see you soon.